stand courageously. When we look at all that's going on in the news today, in our country today, there is a need for us to stand courageously. When have you seen someone be courageous? When have you seen someone be courageous? In other words, when was the last time you saw someone demonstrate courageousness? Anything recently that really stood out and got your attention? Oh, Okay. Mm -hmm. That's encouraging, isn't it? Yes. Yes. It, uh, you can't miss it when it happens. Talking about being courageous for Christ. One of my grandsons has recently, well, in the last year or two, really committed himself to serving God. I mean, he was a little maverick, you know, as a teenager, and now he's about 20. Must be about 22 or 23. I got some name and candy from him. But anyway, he posted an article on Facebook this week about his faith. And I'll tell you the truth. That took courage and, and commitment to God because it was there for the whole world to see his relationship with the Lord. And you know, I think that's courageous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's a demonstration of genuine courage. Yes. Uh, to be able to do something like that. Okay, let's look at the Bible Meets Life on page 84. Uh, if we could have someone read that, please. Page 84. Everybody got it? Strange as it may seem, many people learn their first essence of courage from the power of the In the Wizard of Oz, the Cowardly Lion sang, I only had to bear a song. You see how important it is to have courage. The point on page 84, be ready and willing to stand for God. Be ready and willing to stand for God. That is a challenge that we face every single day because we don't know what the devil is going to throw at us. As a result of this study today, watch out during the course of the week because the devil is going to come at you with everything you've got to see how courageous you really are. 
or to see how much you can stand ready and willing to stand for God. Um, he did it with Job. When I was listening to Pastor Lyle talk about Job this morning on the radio, and uh, Job is another good example of courage. Okay, let's look at the passage and see what the Bible has to say. Uh, Daniel chapter 3, read uh, verses 13 to 15 on page 85, please. Anybody? Then in a furious rage, Nebuchadnezzar gave orders to bring in Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king. Nebuchadnezzar asked them, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Is it true that you don't serve my God or worship the gold statue I've set up? Now, if you're ready, will you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, drum, and every kind of music fall down and worship the statue I made? If you don't worship it, you will immediately be thrown into a furnace of blazing fire. And who is the God who can rescue you from that? Okay, now notice King Nebuchadnezzar had given orders for everyone uh, to bow before this great big statue that he had erected in his honor. Okay, he was glorifying himself, praising himself. The size of the statue and its placement in the plain of Dura, we see in uh, Daniel chapter 3, made it a counterpiece of Babylonian culture. Nebuchadnezzar brought together every leader in the empire to attend the dedication of the statue. No one was excluded. And of course, that included uh, the Hebrew boys, uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And he has instructed all of his civil and military officials to attend. None was excluded. His invitation list was detailed as it was representative of the vast authority that he had exercised over everyone in his kingdom. In addition, he assembled an impressive orchestra of instruments to highlight the ritual of worship. Consequently, at an arranged moment when the music began, all the officials and citizens were required to fall down and worship the statue. Okay? He gave these specific instructions. If anyone refused to comply with the command of Nebuchadnezzar, the punishment involved the terrifying death in a fiery furnace. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego found themselves at what you might call the fork in the road. Anyone ever been there? They could take the road of compromise and go through the external motions of worshiping an idol and resist internally so that no one would notice. In other words, they could bow on the outside but not bow on the inside, which is what some people do today. The other road, of course, was the path of courage by which they would refuse to participate in a sinful act of idolatry and accept the perilous consequences that came with it. Now many times uh, believers are faced with that same fork in the road and you know what some of them do? They bow. You know what they say? Oh, I'm just bound on the outside. I'm not bound on the inside. But what do people see? They see bowing on the inside. Can anybody see you bowing on the inside? No. Anybody can see that. 
God wants you to show your commitment to Him on the outside, externally. And that's exactly what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did. And of course, it caused Nebuchadnezzar to get thrown into a furious rage. And uh, God was glorified in that because He allowed the boys, the three Hebrew boys, to be thrown into fire. But what else did He allow happen? He allowed people to see Him in the fire with them. So God is glorified in the overall purpose of these young men standing courageously for God. And we miss the opportunity of allowing God to do what He does best when we refuse to stand courageously. You know, God is standing there and He's waiting for us to do a courageous act so that He could be, he could be seen, He could be glorified, He could be exalted. But some, sometimes we never give, give him the opportunity for that to happen. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego didn't go that road. They allowed God to be glorified. Let's look at the paragraphs on page 86. King Nebuchadnezzar wasn't happy. He built a large gold statue in his honor, 90 feet high and 9 feet wide. It was a monstrosity. Building such a statue to honor himself was bad enough. But Nebuchadnezzar ordered everyone else to bow down before it. When the Babylonian orchestra sounded, people were expected to fall down and worship or, or face the fiery consequences. But not everyone obeyed. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, three young Jewish men the king had brought into his service, stood their ground. They didn't have, they didn't have to, of course. They could have rationalized their way into several seemingly acceptable reasons for bowing before the statue. One, Nebuchadnezzar is the king. We have to do what our boss says. The statue is only a symbol, and Nebuchadnezzar isn't a real god. The statue means nothing to us. And thirdly, we could do more good if we're alive than if we're dead. Yet all three men had strong spiritual convictions. They knew and believed God's word. Do not have other gods besides me. They would not bow. That's why Nebuchadnezzar was so upset. In fact, he was furious, in a, ra in a furious rage. Besides himself with anger, the king taunted his young servants asking, who is the God who can rescue you from my power? Nebuchadnezzar was challenging God himself. He was basically saying, your God may have been able to reveal my dream, but he's powerless to protect you from death. The challenge had been issued. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were in a tight spot with no immediate evidence of rescue. But even then, they were not alone. Now notice, a couple of things here that is still uh, common today. The three things that they could have done. The three ways they could have rationalized their way into bowing. <coughs> they could have said, Nebuchadnezzar is a king. We have to do what our boss says. And many times people do that today because they're afraid they get fired. The statue is only a symbol and Nebuchadnezzar isn't a real god. The statue means nothing to us. So it doesn't matter whether we bow to this thing or not. It's not a god. And then thirdly, we could do more good if we're alive than if we're dead. Who says God's going to allow you to die? 
Give God a chance. Let God be determined the outcome, not you. See, when we make a statement like that, we can do more if we are alive than if we are dead, they are automatically saying, we are dead. We are dead men. We are already dead. Okay? But if we allow God to do his thing, then God will be the one who is glorified. And who knows? Your boss may get saved. Okay. Look at the next paragraph. The challenge, the last paragraph, the challenge had been issued. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were in a tight spot with no immediate evidence of rescue. But even then, they were not alone. You see, we often talk about God being, God being with us. We believe that, right? We said that God is always with us. But whenever we get our, find ourselves in a tight spot, we forget that. We don't remember that God is with us. God is with us as long as everything is going fine. When we find ourselves in a tight spot, we forget. We automatically forget that God is with us. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did not forget that. We are ever mindful that God is ever present. He is an ever present one. There's never a time in our lives when God is absent. He can never be described of being, of being accused of being an absentee God. You know, you got some good friends and, and, uh, and relatives, and you know, they've been there for us in good times and bad times, but sometimes when you need them, they're not there. But that's not God. God is always there, no matter what we go through. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego believed that with all their heart, and they demonstrated that, and God got the glory. Now, only eternity would be able to reveal how many times we rob God of getting the glory. Boy, and that's going to be a sad day. Remember the Bible says there are going to be no, no tears in heaven? Because when we come get to heaven, we see how many opportunities we've had to not give God the glory. It's going to be a whole lot of weeping. But it's going to be the last time we weep, because God is going to wipe away our tears forever. And He's not going to allow you to remember all those times when you didn't give Him the glory, when He gave you the opportunity to demonstrate courageousness and you didn't give him a chance. You know what it is not to give somebody a chance when they're so willing to help? That's what we do to God when we don't give him the glory by standing courageously. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, we're not going to go that way. God has been faithful to us, we can be faithful to him. No matter what we face, we're going to stand strong and be courageous for God. And we know that God is never going to let us down. He never did before, and we guarantee in our hearts that he's never going to let us down now. And that's what they did. And that's the challenge for us. Now, believe it or not, the devil is, devil is saying right now, he's saying, oh yeah? For each of us, he's making a plan. He says, oh yeah, we can see. During the course of this week, you're going to be challenged in some way or another to stand courageously for God. Remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and what they did. Verses 16 to 18. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied, we do not need to defend ourselves this way. If we are thrown into the blazing flames, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. But even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never save your God or worship the golden statue you have sent. Okay, now notice. Courage knows that there's a moment to be quiet and remain silent and a moment to stand up and speak out. That's what courage means. It knows when to stand up and speak and it knows when to be quiet. It knows when to open your mouth 
knows when to close it. Some people don't know when to, when to, 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 to keep their mouth closed. Shadrach and Mish, uh, these, these boys knew exactly when to keep their mouth closed and when to open it. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego knew, knew the time was ripe to give voice to their faith. They may not have been saying anything while they were serving, but now is the time for them to stand up and speak up. The three Hebrews did not sense a need to give the king an answer to this question. Another, you know, we don't have to answer this question. According to verse 3, they knew defending themselves was useless. Three things. First, the king's command is not open to question. Okay? It was a command. It was not a suggestion. So it was nothing for them to discuss. Okay? It was not a question that they had to answer. Secondly, their position was not flexible. They would not compromise with false religion. Okay? And then thirdly, Nebuchadnezzar was not considering the situation logically, but emotionally. Any argument would have made the king's wrath even more intense. Okay? So if any way for them to try to explain themselves out of this would only make the king angrier. Shadrach, verse 17, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did speak to the king. Their reply should be interpreted as a cavalier, which should not be interpreted as cavalier disrespect. The tone is sometimes difficult to distinguish when we analyze the statements in scripture, but their past demeanor, their tone, but given their past demeanor, their tone was most likely one of calm resolve rather than an emphatic haughtiness or pride or arrogance. They could have, they could make the response they did, they could make the response they did because of their faith in God. If they didn't have a strong faith in God, they could not have responded the way they did. The young men declared the supremacy of their God, regardless of how much Nebuchadnezzar declared himself to be a deity. They declared that their God was the only supreme God. They knew that God was more powerful than the fire or the king who controlled the fire. And sometimes we think the opposition or the challenges we face is bigger than the king that we serve or the God that we serve. God would rescue them, but only He could deliver them. They had no doubt about God's goodness to intervene in their crisis. They had no doubt either about God's power to accomplish a miracle. Okay, so they didn't doubt God in any way in terms of what God is able to do. Notice they said, but even if He does not rescue us, indicates that their faith did not rest on the belief God would perform a miracle, but that God was sovereign and could be trusted. In other words, even if God does not deliver us, God is sovereign enough to be even to do that, because the choice is His. The conclusion of the matter was that whatever action God took, they would not deny him by worshipping the gold statue. In other words, if God didn't deliver them, they're not going to spite God by worshipping the golden image. Because God didn't deliver them. We will not serve your gods or worship the gold statue, they said. When we believers understand that the Lord has all authority in heaven and in earth, 
we can confidently stand firm for our Lord regardless of whatever threats anybody would throw at us. The courage of the three young men was based on confidence that whatever happened, God would still reign. God would still be in control. The union of courage where to fate doesn't pretend to know how the story of life will unfold, but it relies on the grand truth that God will direct the story. Courage merely to be defied misses the point. Courage depend, to depend on God despite the fire tribulation is the point. Okay, let's look at the um, paragraphs on page 87. Someone read that, please. You can't miss the conviction and courage of Shadrach, Meshach, and Ego. They had no idea what God was going to do. Yet, live or die, they knew he was on their side. In their response to the king, Shadrach, Meshach, and Benigo gave an example we can follow. When people challenge our beliefs and convictions, we should, number one, stay calm. Shadrach, Meshach, and Benigo neither beg, nor cry, nor shout, nor mercy. They remind, remain calm while answering the king. Be committed, number two. The young men said, but even if he does not rescue us, we want you as king to know that he will not, we will not serve your gods or worship the gold statue you set up. Verse 18, a true commitment to God must be present before we are challenged. Know what God's word teaches and decide what you will do before you are put to the test. Number three, make an open confession. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego unashamedly proclaim their belief in God. Never miss an opportunity to confess, confess the name of Jesus. Number four, be courageous. Stand firm in your faith. The Lord promised he will never leave you nor forsake you. See Hebrews 13, 5. Therefore, be strong. Number five, stand confident. All three men express their confidence in God. He can rescue us. Verse 17. They didn't know what God would do, but they knew he was infinitely more powerful than anything the king could throw at them. In order to stand for God each day, we must place our faith and confidence in him, not only in the furnace, but out. Okay, and notice uh, the highlights of that passage. Stay calm. Don't lose it. Okay, sometimes we are threatened with, with all kinds of things and we just lose it. We just, just, just lost, lose it. Okay, and we start screaming and hollering and shouting and they, they stay calm. And then the next point is be committed. Okay, know God's word and what it says before you get into the situation so you know what to do. Make an open confession. Okay, let, the, let whoever you are confronted with, challenge you with the crisis, let them know who your God is and what he's capable of doing. Be courageous. Don't back down. Stand firm and stand confident. Uh, don't stand trembling and shaking as if you're not, you're not sure what's going to happen. But stand confident because you know who is in control. Question number three. What is the connection between courage and faith? What is the connection between courage and faith? Hmm? Your conviction. 
Okay, that's the connection, your conviction. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had a conviction. And nothing could interfere with the conviction that they had in their God. Question number four. When is it necessary to take a public stand for our convictions? When is it necessary to take a public stand for our convictions? In other words, what helps you stand firm when your convictions are challenged? Your faith. Your faith. Exactly. If your faith is shaky, God help you when the challenge comes. Okay, let's have someone read the other passage in now. Verses 26 to 28, page 85. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the door of the furnace of blazing fire and called, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you servants of the Most High God, come out. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire. When the satraps, prefects, governors, and the king's advisors gathered around, they saw that the fire had no effect on the bodies of these men. Not a hair on their heads was singed, their robes were unaffected, and there was no smell of fire on them. Nebuchadnezzar explained, Praise to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He sent his angel and rescued his servants who trusted in him. They violated the king's command and risked their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. Now notice what happened here. Following their courageous stand, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were ushered toward the blazing furnace. Nebuchadnezzar wasn't satisfied that the fire was hot enough. He gave instructions that the fire be heated seven times more hotter than it was. Now seven is a number of perfection in scripture. What does that tell us? The fire couldn't get any hotter. They could not make that fire any hotter than it was. Because if seven is the number of perfection, that means the fire couldn't get any hotter than that. Okay, so whatever they had to do to make that fire hot, as hot as it could get, that's what they did. That's how angry Nebuchadnezzar was. That's how furious he was. There was a, there was a figurative expression indicating that the furnace was to be heated as hot as, as possible. There's some evidence that suggests that the furnace may have served as a huge kiln of smelt for the metal of Nebuchadnezzar's statue to manufacture the clay stones used to debase for it. Uh, in order for the statue to be created, this fire, this furnace had to be uh, extremely hot. And so what he did was he had the fire increased in heat to the temperature it was to melt the metal that was used to make the statue, uh, which was about 1,800 to 2,000 degrees. That's how hard it was. Sufficient to melt aluminum, brass, lead, copper, silver, and gold. That's how hard the fire was. Melt any metal you put into it. Do you think he was really upset? I mean, he was really upset, right? So finally, Nebuchadnezzar took the opportunity to watch the gruesome spectacle. He was alarmed, however, to see a fourth person walking around in the furnace with the other three. Not standing still, walking around. What do you think they were doing in there? 
probably praising God. Eh? They were probably having, having praise time. <laughs> they were probably having praise time. And not only that, but God made it so that the fourth person looked different from the other three. Because Nebuchadnezzar recognized that the fourth person, according to his own words, looked divine. What does a divine person look like? God made his appearance appear to Nebuchadnezzar to such an extent that Nebuchadnezzar knew that this was no ordinary person. God was in there with them. Whether Nebuchadnezzar saw an angel or God, the pre-incarnate son of God is not specifically recorded. We don't know that, but we know one thing. Whatever Nebuchadnezzar saw, it moved his heart. The presence of the fourth person does emphasize, however, the Emmanuel concept of God among his people. What does Emmanuel mean? God with us. And so the fourth person in that, in that, in that fiery furnace, God demonstrated his name, Emmanuel, by being with them. God wants to do the same thing for us. You want to experience our Emmanuel? Whenever you find yourself in a situation, allow God to demonstrate himself as our Emmanuel, God with us, instead of not giving him the time of day. Now the application of this truth in the lives of believers today is crucial. What kind of stand are we taking that would point clearly to God's power in us? What kind of stand are we taking that would point to God's power in us? What risk do we run for his renown? In a culture easily offended by biblical truth, dare we defy the idols that surround us? Okay, look at the paragraphs on page 88. Someone read those, please. Okay, I'll read it. The confidence of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did nothing to soften Nebuchadnezzar's rage. He ordered all three men to be tied up and thrown into the furnace. And that's when the miracle started. I love that God didn't merely protect his servants from the effects of the fire. He was in the fire with them. This wasn't lost on Nebuchadnezzar who exclaimed, Look, I see four men, not tied, walking around in the fire unharmed. And the fourth looks like the son of the gods. Many people believe this person was either an angel sent by God or the pre-incarnate Christ himself. From a theological perspective, we have no hesitation in affirming that God himself was in the furnace. Nebuchadnezzar had early asked the question, who is the God who can rescue you from my power? What did God do? Show himself. Now he saw the answer for his son. He was forced to admit the truth and even offered praise to God. Verse 28. Nebuchadnezzar never gave up his practice of worshipping other gods, but he did acknowledge the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego as the only true God. But there's no other God who is able to deliver like this, says in verse 29. Your faith in Christ will be challenged, yet you have no promise that God will step in and rescue you. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego experienced a divine, miraculous invention from God. Intervention from God. Yet, untold numbers of others have gone through their own fiery furnaces and died for their faith. Whatever the outcome of your circumstances, if you remain faithful before the fire, 
as these men did, you will bear witness to the glory and goodness of God. Last question. How do you help one another be ready and willing to stand for God? Then you give encouragement to... Yeah, um, okay. that might help them also to try to step out, you know, because sometimes we want to just stay in the closet mm-hmm. and we don't want to be where we stand up, but at least if somebody else sees you standing and that you, you know, move forward. Because I think as a Christian, you can only grow by stepping up. Right. You can't just cower back and expect, you know, to be stretched. So. Mm-hmm. Good. So we help others stand courageously by standing ourselves by being willing to stand for God. Some people may be right on the edge of wanting to stand for God, but they just don't have that oomph, that needed push. And by you standing firm courageously, you give them what it takes to get them to get them there, to move forward. Okay, we have an exercise there, but our time is... Oh, yeah, we got a couple of minutes left. Okay. Uh, to stand. There's an exercise uh, activity called To Stand on page 89. Uh, to stand. What decisions or priorities will you will help you stand for God. Use the following acrostic to highlight helpful choices in coming in the coming weeks. So you need to hold on to this exercise and see what happens during the week and how you can use this to help. What obstacles will you need to overcome in order to follow through on these decisions? To stand for God I will speak, trust, adopt, never decide. What obstacles will you need to overcome to follow through on these decisions? Okay, so there will be some obstacles. Uh, Keep that exercise handy. Okay, let's look at Live It Out on page 90. Here's how we apply the lesson for the day now because the devil is making all his plans for you this coming week. And believe it or not, he's going to challenge you to see how courageous you, you're going to stand. Okay, are you willing, are you ready and willing to stand for God? Consider the following suggestions for taking some practical steps this week. Now remember, the, the Bible tells us that God's word never returns to him void. Which means that it's never a pointless exercise or a useless exercise. So sometime during the course of this week, Uh, you're going to be challenged to stand courageously in some way or another. Pray for others who are taking a stand. That's number one. Identify Christians who are currently living under persecution in a specific region or culture. Commit to praying daily for God's presence and provision in their lives. Now we hear that was going on a lot today about persecuted believers. We can just look at our prayer list for missionaries and pick someone from that list and pray for them. Uh, They may have a challenge that they're going through. And then, uh, secondly, be prepared. Now is the time to consider what you will do when your faith is challenged. Work to determine what resources and support, information, prayer partners, Bible voices, and so forth, will help you stand courageously. Then take steps to begin putting those resources into place. Okay, there are a lot of scriptures that tell us how we can stand firm. Use them. And then speak up. Be on the lookout for opportunities to proclaim the name of Jesus or respond to those who oppose him. As you do so, remember 
the five attitudes mentioned on page 87. Remember those five attitudes? Remember them? Stay calm, be committed, make an open confession, be courageous, and stand confident. Remember them. Okay, as you go forth. Okay, while the body of Christ is no place for cowards, there's no shame in feeling afraid. We all do at one point or another. Yet, like the cowardly lion, true followers of Jesus must never allow that fear to prevent them from doing what's right. We must be ready and willing to stand for God. Amen? Amen.